This is the No More Wasted Days podcast, and we're your hosts, Sarah Kaufman Bradstreet and Heather PG. Grab your favorite NA drink and listen as we share vulnerable stories so you never feel alone on your alcohol-free journey. And gain insights from us as we break down our most used tips and strategies that have kept us alcohol-free. It's time to break free from wasting any more of your days to the drinking blackout hangover cycle. Welcome to another episode of the No More Wasted Days podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. And I'm Heather. Welcome back, y'all. We are excited to chat with you. Before we officially started, Heather was telling us all about her, I don't know, do you call it New Year's res? I call them goals, habits, like creating new habits in 2024. Yeah, we're just going to call call it a resolution. I have a few, but I've quit eating meat and that's going okay. I've only craved chicken one time and I'm trying to wean myself off of Sour Patch Kids because that was my transfer addiction. As I was saying earlier, I woke up at midnight, was looking for them in my bathroom cabinet. I'm like sorry. A true I just... addict. Like it is, a, it was 11 degrees. Here I am in my gown, looking, you know, trying not to turn on the light, looking up there in the cabinet. And then I was making these negotiations with myself. Like, okay, in 15 minutes, if I still want a Sour Patch Kid, I'll go downstairs and look in the cupboard. So today's a new day. So how many days are you Sour Patch free? I am going to be real honest to say that I've only made it two days in January. That's pretty good, though. Sour Patch Kid. Yeah. I feel like, and Sour you know, Patch like, Kids were like your total go-to when you were Jones and drinking. Yeah. You were all mm-hmm. about them. They're yeah. yummy. I, I, like you, I'm just going to say it. On my nightstand, the amount of sugar that had piled up looked like lines of questionable stuff. <laughs> I'll just leave that there. It's at least as sugar, you know? Right. Even more sexy, one got stuck on my sheet. That's that's a problem. I have a problem. Hi, my name's Heather, and I'm addicted to Sour Patch Kids. It's like, where's that (laughs) meeting? Right? Mine is, Lord. Mine has just been any food. I really went, I don't know, not not off the rails, not crazy, but it was just, since we've been building a house, food is comfort, and I like pie, and I like ice cream, and I like it in mass amounts, and... So I've been I've been trying to do a tracking food streak on my fitness pal. And I know there's people that are like, don't track food, don't do it. And I'm just like, you know what? I got to rein it in somehow. And I'm very streak oriented. This is what I've learned about myself. I track how many days I'm alcohol free. <laughs> and now let me track how many days I'm tracking my food. And I'm trying to shoot for a year, which I feel like is kind of crazy. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, if I eat crappy, I still just track it and I'm not angry at myself. I'm just kind of like, there's your, there's your data. There's your little point for yourself. So we'll see how it goes. Do you have a tracker going yeah. for the Sour Patch Kids? No, but in February, you know how in our Daymakers community, we have like the challenge of people choose to do it. How many days you move, alcohol-free, gratitude, so on and so forth. I'm putting Sour Patch on there and... I'm going to take a picture and put it in our Telegram thread every day. I like that. Hey, that's awesome. I think that's cool. Because it is, at some point, I was listening to another podcast, and they're like, at some point, you can't just be like, well, I'm just eating sugar because I have sugar cravings because I quit drinking. When you're like me and you're five years in, four and a half years in, it's like, maybe you just need to make better choices for, I need to make better choices for my adult self. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Yeah. 
I clearly have a problem if I was looking for it at midnight in my bathroom. But, but we're working on it one day at a time. Now you know. Right? And it's kind of cool, too, when yeah. you have the knowledge from being alcohol-free and ditching something so momentous. You can you can tackle the Sour Patch Kids. You know how to do it. It's also a matter of yeah. finding the time where you the time in your life where you really want to do it. Because I had tried the tracking food things a number of times in 2023, and I was like, nope, this is not my time. You'll get there. You'll keep us updated. Now you've got some accountability with our podcast listeners. I know. I've, I've said it to the universe. So. I think that's a way to do it. So we're going to dive into yeah. a topic today of forgiving your drinking self, which a lot of people have a hard time with because, I don't know, we do a lot of dumb shit while we're drinking, right? Mm-hmm. And you oh, make yeah. a lot of poor choices. And then all of a sudden, you're alcohol-free. You're living your best life. You're feeling great. And then you remember something you did from your past. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. So Heather and I are going to give you 10 ways today to forgive your drinking self. We're just going to try to be relaxed on this, give you guys the 10 topics, but then say how we've done this in our life and how it's worked for us. Because you might find out that we'll tell you like, oh, well, this one is still really hard for me. I try to work on this every single day, but it's something that is not my finest thing and I'm working on it. Before we dive into that, though, Heather was talking about the Daymakers community, and I want to be sure to invite you all to join the Daymakers community. There is a week-long trial that you can do for just $7, so if you're curious, come try it for just a dollar a day, and you get set up with six to eight monthly group coaching calls with either Heather or I, and you also get access to our group message thread, which is held on a different app off social media. And anytime you need support, people are there 24 seven because we have people from all different time zones. So we'll put the link in the show notes and come join us. Come on, y'all. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to really dive into forgiving ourselves? Yeah, let's do it. I think we should start by defining, because like when you think about forgiveness, two things come up usually, guilt and shame. Yep. So if you are like me and you're like, well, what's the difference? I want to know. I'm going to tell you. So guilt is the feeling that you deserve blame for your actions. Shame is believing that you are unworthy because of the actions, thoughts, and experiences. Mm, I need to remember both those because I definitely had guilt over my drinking. I would wake up in the morning. And feel so guilty. And it makes sense. Feeling like I deserved blame for my actions. And I did. And then the shame too. Feeling unworthy because of the actions and thoughts and experiences. I remember all the time just thinking people are on to me. People know. People people can see beyond the facade that I was putting up that my life was perfect. And it was actually just that, no, I was drinking so much every weekend that I was embarrassed about it yeah so all right same same here yeah and I hear from people too when they do quit because it's something I talk a lot about on social media that it's it's one thing I got to ditch when I quit drinking and obviously I still have guilt and shame about other things I still have guilt and shame about my drinking self so that's why we're talking about it today but I definitely left so much of that behind when you can have a weekend And it's just a normal weekend. I just spend my weekends doing normal people things. And when I go back into the real world, if somebody asks me, like, how was your weekend? There's no moment with me where I think, oh, it was it was good. Like, I felt like I always had to come up with a 
act normal. It was totally normal. You didn't drink the whole weekend away. You weren't super hungover. It was just this crazy thing. It's nice now to just say it was good. It was a good weekend and just truly mean it. So let's dive into the 10 things because I want to make sure that this does not last for a bajillion years. (laughs) So number one is you know more than your past self did. So you need to constantly remind yourself that. It's, I think it's Maya Angelou said, know better, do better. That's one of her famous quotes. And that's so important. Now you know better. Now you're going to do better. And you know more than your drinking self did. So when you're caught in a shame spiral about like, oh my gosh, for instance, I broke my toe at my husband's 40th birthday party and still have no recollection of how it happened. It's a moment I will never get back in my life. And I feel so stupid about it. And I've had to try to forgive myself. And I just have to say, you know what? You, you didn't know as much then. So you're better than that. Not better than that past self, but you know more than that past self did. Definitely. I don't think I'm the same person in very many ways as I was as a drinker. Mm-hmm. There's big changes that happen and it can kind of feel weird. So when you are stuck in that shame spiral, just talk to yourself quick and say, that was a different version of myself. Now I've stepped into this new person. So. What is number two, Heather? All right. Number two is loving yourself unconditionally, all parts of you. So what does that look like? Sarah and I both have kids. You don't put conditions usually around someone when you love them. So make that applicable to you. And I like to think of it like I wouldn't talk to my daughter or my bestie or my spouse the way I talk to myself. Yeah. And putting those conditions on when you will love yourself. I think it's important to meet yourself where you are today and try to believe that you're a little bit worthy of a better life. Yes. And that's, it's huge for me. I didn't, unconditional love is a weird thing. I didn't understand it until I did a little research and kind of went, oh, that makes sense that I don't put conditions on my kids when I will love them. I will love them all the time. And I always think that, oh, they could come to me with any giant problem. I might be upset with them, but I will still love them. So I might be upset with my past drinking self, but I have learned to love my past drinking self. I loved my drinking self when it was happening, right? I was there and I was like, oh, drunk Sarah, she's super fun. I would talk about her as almost this third person identity. I enjoyed her. I enjoyed drinking. And that's all fine and dandy. So I had a hard time when I first quit. I disliked her a lot. And I would look back at her and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe she was so stupid. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe this and this and this. And now I've had to really just be like, man, I love that girl, too. I love that part of me. And I love the current part of me. And just because I made some poor choices doesn't mean that I don't deserve my own love. And I think it's so important, too, like Heather said to talk to yourself the way you would talk to your kids. Because how many times are you in your own head, Heather, and you're saying things like, oh, I'm such a stupid idiot. Like that's that's where I am a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And our inner dialogue is so powerful. And it takes practice to try to change it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's where things like the affirmations really help me. The gratitudes when I can hear myself being really mean to myself. I start going, stop, wait do some of your affirmations or do a gratitude and just come back and talk to yourself a little bit better. And you're the only person you're guaranteed to be stuck with for the rest of your life. 
So you might as well enjoy yourself. So start loving yourself unconditionally, all of your parts, even your drinking self, and of course, your sober self. So number three is put your drinking memories into perspective and realize that your drinking moments are a smaller part of your longer story. That one is so big for me to go, okay, well, maybe I drank from 20 to 40. It's kind of where I, you know, obviously there was some drinking in my high school days and there was time when I wasn't drinking in there where I was pregnant. But basically from for 20 years of my life, I was drinking and it was progressing and progressing. When I look at it, it's actually kind of a short time of my life. I'm only 44 right now, so it's kind of half of it. But in the huge full life story, there's so much more to play out. And it wasn't the only thing that was happening in my life either. There were other things happening in my life when I was in my drinking days. So when you really niche it down and start looking, it's not as big as we think it is. Have you found the same? Yeah, I drank for mm, 25 years. And, you know, we get to rewrite our story. I heard a quote one time that says, like, outline your life in pencil, not pen. So we get to rewrite it. And in our our drinking stories did serve us a purpose in some way. And we're not there anymore. So it's a good push off point. You get to rewrite and redefine. Yeah. You always quote Laura McCowan's book title, The Push Off From Here. It's a push off point. And I love that. It's a good reminder when you, if you have a slip, if you have a, a relapse, whatever you want to call it, it's like, well, this is your moment. You can just push off from here. And it is such a good visual too. Like I always think about when I would swim, that pushing off the edge of the pool and the propulsion you would get from that. Just, it's it's a really good imagery. It is. So number four, live in a place of service to yourself and all of your parts, even your drinking self. So knowing what you know now, what was your drinking self looking for? That's a really powerful question. Yeah, that's a journal prompt right there. Yeah, definitely. And you can think about how can you start serving this to your drinking self and your present self. And this is a good one. I always ask myself, what did I want? What did my drinking self want? And how can I give that to that part of me? Because it's still there. It'll always be there. That little, I call it my drinking brain when it's talking to me. And it's just, I've started to realize, even though I still say I'm well, like I'm a, I'm a five-year-old, right? So it's like I'm, I'm just becoming aware of my sober self at this point. And it's kind of like, okay, what did I want? I started to realize that that voice is always going to be there that will come in and say, hey, maybe you should have a drink right now. And I, when it pops up now, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't do that anymore. But now I can kind of go, what do you really want? It's not a drink. What are you looking for? Is it numbing? Because I can do that in a healthier way. I can go binge watch a show on Netflix. Is it acceptance from people? That's a huge one for me. That is so huge on why I actually drank is that I wanted to feel like I was part of the crowd and I wanted to feel like everybody, everybody liked me and it felt like everybody liked drinking Sarah. So I started to tell myself that that was the way to get that acceptance from people. And now I have to really go, well, how can I prove that I don't need that as a substance if I need acceptance from people? And then I can kind of look around and be like, my parents accept me. Heather accepts me. 
my husband accepts me, my kids do. And you start going, okay, you have acceptance. You don't need to keep searching for it in all of the wrong places. Do you find that your drinking brain is constant, not constantly talking to you, but is still a voice in your head every now and then? Oh, yeah. It can get noisy, little drinking voice or drinking brain. And I do think it's a signal of an unmet need, like rest mm -hmm. or fun or peace or, I mean, it's your brain and body telling you something. I mean, you can learn, you know, to do different things to fill the holes that the booze used to take up residence in. Yeah. All right. Number five, take ownership over your drinking behavior. This can be kind of hard. Acknowledge the emotions that come with what you did and try to let go of what you cannot control. Many of us drink to help with the issues around control. I know I did. Like, I always want to be in control of a situation. And it would just become so much that then I would be like, okay, I'm going to drink now. And then I was not actually in control, the thing that I was searching for. But now as a non-drinker, I'm driving the ship. I'm not stuck anymore. And many drink to forget what we did while using substances. So maybe you, you did something stupid when you were drinking and now you're trying to forget that thing. So you're drinking again. And now all of a sudden, we just really have to own up to it. You really have to step back and go, I did that stupid thing. And it was me. And I can't say, oh, I just don't remember. I have an instance that's just, I feel like one of the worst breakups was a friend breakup for me. And it's because I said something stupid when we were drinking. And I vaguely remember it. I remember when I said it that both husbands turned and looked at me like, oh, my God, that was so mean. I can't remember the exact phrase, but I, I know it wasn't nice. And I lost a best friend over this. Like our relationship just couldn't come back from this. And it sucked because I couldn't remember. I still can't remember the exact words I said. And it just feels like for something to ruin something be ruined that big over something I said, I should be able to remember it. And I finally just had to take ownership and be like, I said something really stupid. I hurt somebody's feelings so bad that they don't want me in their life anymore. It's really hard. That one I struggle with. Like, I feel like once a month I struggle with that. And then I think, oh man, I'm over this friend breakup. I get to it and I'm like, I got it. I'm good. And then it's like all of a sudden in the middle of the month, I'm like, oh my God. It's time. It's time to obsess about it. And there are things I do for it that we're going to talk about later on. But one of the things I just do is I take ownership. And I have actually apologized to that person and just owned, said, I said what I said. It was not nice. I hope you'll accept my apology one day. And then it's just out there. And that's that. So that's kind of yeah. mine with taking ownership over your drinking behavior. It's a hard one. It is really hard. And especially if you don't remember. Mm -hmm. Or if you stay in that victim state that we all do sometimes, like, woe is me. And it's just like a loop. But I think acknowledging it, talking about it, and then just trying as hard as you can to let it go is really helpful. I did so much stupid stuff. If, you know, I just have to just own it. And what I tell myself is I'm, I'm a different person. I'm working to do better. And the best apology is change behavior. Exactly. That's the one thing that I always tell myself and other people when they say, well, people just don't believe it this time. I'm like, you have to keep showing up every day because our actions are the thing that speak the loudest. And 
if you think about it, when me and Heather both say like, oh, I was drinking for 20 years, I was drinking for 25 years, that's a long time for people to know you as a drinker. And it's going to take them a while to start saying, okay, I see, this is really happening. She's been doing this now for three years or five years. This, this seems more serious this time. So it will take time, but definitely just own your behaviors. It's, it's hard, but sometimes you just got to go, I was the person that did that and I can't blame alcohol. It was just me. It is hard. Practice a lot of compassion with yourself because you don't want to spiral and then drink over it because then there's more to worry and obsess about. Exactly. Which kind of rolls into your number six. Yeah. So number six, stop playing the tape over and over about the things you did. And when that past moment pops into your brain, if you can just tell yourself, you're no longer going to dwell on that moment in repetition. And the past is the past and you're in a different space now. And then play a different movie and future cast your redefined life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That can be really hard with those things, the things that stand out. We all have the standout things we did when we were drinkers. Like they're just those, that's the thing. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did. But it is the stop playing it over and over. And when it pops up, start getting yourself in this moment of like, okay, I'm going to think about something else. I'm going to instead, like the one thing I do with my friendship that I lost is now I've started really future casting into there can be other friendships. I'm not locked into this. I'm not a terrible friend because of this thing. I can move forward. And maybe even there will be a rekindling someday in the future. Who knows, right? I don't know, but I can future cast it instead of dwelling on the past because it doesn't do anything for us. And you can really then be stuck in a spiral for days, months if you let it go. And you can kind of look at it like this chapter is preparing yourself for the next best version of you in your life. I like that. That's the, you get to rewrite your story again. Yeah. All right. Number seven, we're just cruising through. Number seven is apologize to yourself. Kind of goes with, you've you've already acknowledged it. Now you just got to apologize and apologize to yourself at this point. Okay. One way to apologize to yourself, because I know you're kind of like, what, how do I do that? I will actually tell myself, like, I'm really sorry I did that. (laughs) You just got to say it out loud sometimes, but journaling it has been huge for me. When I'm stuck in a spiral, like if you're in number six and you're repeating the same story over and over and over, journal about it and just free write and let the pen do the writing or the, the keyboard do the typing, however you do your journal, and just write it out. It doesn't have to be this great writing masterpiece. It really is just about getting it out of your dang brain and somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then remember, too, that shame dies when stories are told in a safe place. And that's one thing I love about the Daymakers community is you can actually go in there and say, I'm just really obsessing over this one thing I did when I was a drinker. And you can, if you're feeling comfortable enough, say it in specificity. Did I say it right? I think so. Woo! (laughs) So say it and do it as specifically as you can with people who, where you know it's safe. And it's not just a, what do they call it? Like a shame vomiting type thing, right? Where you're not just trying to dump trauma dump on people, Mm -hmm. but instead you're trying to say, I got to get this out. Can I say this in this space? Is everybody ready to hear this? And then sometimes a lot of people too will go, well, I've done that too. You're not alone. And then the story becomes less and less because you're getting it out. 
How have you yeah. done with apologizing to yourself? It's hard. I've done okay. You know, I've, done, I have a, I've had a lot of therapy and coaching and I've been trying to do better about journaling. And I went to this writing workshop last year and that was like really cathartic. And I actually cried, which I don't cry much. I don't wear that as a badge of honor, but it's just true. And talking to other like-minded folks, like one of my best friends is in our group and we don't do war stories because I do not think that's helpful. And yeah, I think it's helpful to talk to someone who understands what you're talking about. And you can even drop a dump with their permission about the things so that you can apologize to yourself and then you can move that outward to other people in your life. And I love too when you are talking to people who understand why you're telling the story. They're not going to then say, oh, yeah, well, I've got this story. I'm going to top that. It's more like they're going to say, I hear you and I want you to know yeah. you're not alone. And then it's like, I'm so proud of you for getting that out. I bet that felt good. So choose your yeah. people wisely that you are going to tell, because that's why it's mm -hmm. the whole shame dies when stories are told in a safe place. Keep it safe. Keep it in a space where you know it's going to be accepted in the right way. Definitely. So number eight. Affirm each day that you're a work in progress and you're committed to doing better today than you did yesterday. Boy, do I do this almost every day. Truly, because I have a toddler, so I have mom guilt. I mean, I told her to get her life together the other day. So the only thing, I can't take it back. She has no idea what I mean. She will. She'll use it against me. That's how it works. And that's okay. But just like, okay, I'm not going to win mom of the year, probably. And I can do better the next day. We're in this moment. And yeah. sometimes you can take your guilt and you can use it as a motivation. Mm -hmm. You can be like, I'm not headed in that direction anymore. And I love the affirm each day you're a work in progress. Yeah. I think sometimes I just have to tell myself I'm a work in progress. I'm always changing, which is really cool. I think some people can get really overwhelmed by the idea that we're always changing. But when you start going, no, it's an opportunity to learn from today and then to apply it to tomorrow. What do you want to change? Yeah. What do you want to do better today? Because here is your chance to do it. So, yeah. All right. Moving on. Number nine is start something new. Both Heather and I have talked about getting it out, talking to people. So therapy may be a way to do it. Joining an online community, meditation. Here we go again, talking about our meditation. I was meditating this morning thinking, I got to get everybody to do this. <laughs> like, I'm so like when something changes my life, I'm just like, can I tell everybody? But meditation, exercise, start doing crafts, start writing the book you've always dreamed of writing. Go find some new friends, go do some experiences, go on meetup and find sober meetups to go do. If you're a social person and you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I've lost my social self. No, you haven't. There's other sober people out there and they're doing online meetups and you can find them. That's the cool thing about the internet now. So the things yeah. that I have really locked onto in my alcohol-free life are business building activities, things like doing this podcast, recording YouTube episodes, all of that stuff. But meditation and exercise are the two that I lean into the most, for sure. What are your top ones that you've leaned into? I would say meditation has been really helpful. Starting my own podcast in 2000. 22 and like I have a cricket and that's on the goal my personal goal for Q3 well tell me you used to run a nonprofit without telling me for the <laughs> first quarter of this year doing the cricket and 
I love tattoos and I'm getting some more in March. So just trying something new and you don't even really have to try it. You can get in that pre-contemplative state and just start researching. That can be really helpful too. I think too, that's the, the research. I'm so glad you recommended that because I think people can get really overwhelmed when I'm like, go do something new, become a, like, start a new hobby. People are like, oh my God, you can just open Pinterest. We were talking about what are your hobbies in the Daymakers community yesterday? And I wrote, is this even a hobby? I said, I love to go on Pinterest and look at recipes. I also look at tattoos and decorating ideas for our house. But it is like when I think, oh, I've got a little downtime. I'm like, oh, I'm heading into Pinterest. I just love it so much. It makes me, it's kind of that dreaming and scheming stuff. I think that's totally a hobby. And one of our Daymakers members gave the suggestion, like if you do go to one of these social meetups, Give yourself 15 minutes. Just try. And if it's not your vibe, you can leave. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot because I definitely go, oh, I should do that. I should go to this. I should go to that because I'm starting to feel out my small area that I live in for different recovery activities, sober activities. And I'll look at some things and go, that's not for me. And I'm like, how do you know until you just go to the thing and see? So give yourself 15 minutes. That's so smart. All right. Number 10. Remember that you are not the only one that never drank too much or took it too far. You're not alone. And to quote Miss Laura McGowan again, you can't do this alone. Only you can do it. Meaning you're not alone. There are people that have had it similar or worse. Although try not to get wrapped up too much in the comparison, but just know you're not alone Mm -hmm. and you can change it. Yeah. But no one can do it for you, but you can do it. Yeah, exactly. That one's big for me in a lot of areas that I have to like, when I'm having an off day, when I'm having an off week, I'll be like, everybody goes through this. I'll tell myself like, Heather has off weeks, you know, and I'll remind myself like people that I watch on the internet that I have no idea what their personal life is. I'll be like, I bet they go through off weeks. I need to remember that sometimes they're talking to themselves and saying, why did I ever do that? Especially when I follow other sober content creators, I'll be like, Man, they have their recovery life so together. I have no idea. And then I have to be like, nope, no, no, no. Everybody's got their own story and everybody goes through hard times. And believe me, you are so not alone in the over drinking world. It's like when you just will start sharing a story and other people go, oh, that was me. That was me. And not to... It's not to downplay it, but I think sometimes we start going, I'm the only one. I'm, I'm the only yeah. one that this has happened to. No, you're not. You, no. You're not alone in this journey, but also you are the only one that can change it. That's a really good one to end on. And if anybody ever thinks, like, oh, Heather and Sarah really have it together, just remember I was Johnson for Sour Patch Kids at midnight in my bathroom cabinet. Yeah. And I'll, I'll come up with some story to tell you. I don't have one right up. I'm just perfect in every way. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I'm just like, I'm like, why doesn't, why don't I have a good story like Heather has? I'm so, I'm kind of jealous of your Jones and for. It's just fresh on my memory. There's another one that I did Saturday. I was looking for the WD-40 and I went in our garage. I opened the garage refrigerator. WD-40 doesn't live there. It but, might. You never know. You might have put well, it away there. It's true. Looking for Sour Patch Kids at 12 in the morning. That would probably but, be yeah. my deep, dark secret. I have lots of lots of piles all around. One of my affirmations is I feel focused and organized just because I'm like I love so in my head. 
about like, oh, you're so unorganized. You're so, you can't find anything. You never know where your keys are. That is my inner mean girl talking to me. Mm -hmm. And I really have to be like, no, this is, this is okay. I'm all good. So yeah, if you don't think, you think we got it together. No, I can't find my keys on the regular. (laughs) Well, thank you all all for listening to another episode. Come join us in the Daymakers community and see what it's all about. And be sure to give us a five-star review. Just hop down. It takes about five seconds to hit that star button. And if you feel moved, give us a written review. We do love reading those. So thank you guys so much. See you on the next one. That's right. 